Welcome to the One of a Kind podcast, the show where we explore the stories we tell ourselves and the moments that got us here. I'm Nisi Duran, and I hope today's conversation gives you something to smile about. Welcome to the eighth episode of the One of a Kind podcast. Today's guest is Andrew Peterson. Andrew wanted me to say that you probably have never heard of him, but it's almost impossible that you don't know some of the people he has worked with over the past 20 years. Andrew accidentally got into broadcasting, which turned into a decade of working on some of Australia's biggest shows and pioneering digital content creation and distribution during the 2000s. He then spent five years at Universal Music working with artists to build their fan base and tell their stories in new ways. Today, Andrew is the head of YouTube in Canada, where he oversees the content, creator, and viewer ecosystems for the country. He loves cooking, traveling, and finding that next great restaurant. I was also happy to learn that one of his favorite films is Almost Famous. Lastly, he wanted you to know that in kindergarten, he received a gold star for a picture of a horse that he drew. Talks with Andrew always leave me feeling joyful and smarter, so I really hope that you enjoy our conversation. Similar to Bluey, my second favorite Australian, Andrew shares a few of his life lessons that include the benefits of saying yes to new experiences, the importance of community, and the power of being a nerd. And it was so nice when you asked me to to come on this. I've I've really been looking forward this forward to this for a couple of weeks or so. So it's so Thank nice you. to be here. And I think it's so cool that you're that you're doing this. How we know each other, I feel like we are two people that if it weren't for like fairly random circumstances at work, we just never would have encountered each other in the world. And so glad that we did. You're one of my absolute faves that I don't think, I don't think, you know, the world wouldn't, (laughs) the world wouldn't have put us together if it weren't for these random circumstances where for a period of time you led YouTube's business in Mexico and yeah. I led YouTube's business in Canada and we became friends and I'm so pleased for it. I'm going to cry. <laughs> I'm like, actually going to cry. It's I don't know. Sad. We're like seconds in. We haven't even <laughs> talked about pa- painful childhood memories yet. <laughs> no, but you're right. Like it's one of those things where I had that job for a year and it also happened because it was during COVID and mm. I was eligible to run quote unquote YouTube Mexico from San Francisco, California. That's wild. Yeah. And have we actually met in person once? I think so. I think it is only once. I feel a strange closeness to (laughs) you. And we've been through an awful lot together. We have. But we've only met once. And I feel like I paid you the ultimate compliment where I said, well, you're actually way shorter than you (laughs) seem. And then you return volley with, I think, one of the most offensive things (laughs) that you could say to someone, which is like, I thought, oh, actually, you're way taller than I thought. (laughs) Because clearly I've been throwing out that small dude energy. I was wondering if you were going to bring that up. <laughs> I'm never going to stop bringing that it up. That wasn't just me, though. You said everybody said that to you. You're like seven feet tall, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm six. <laughs> I'm I'm six feet tall, and it it's I, there's no good way to take it. There is no good way as a dude to be told <laughs> that you're way taller than you seemed. Uh, yeah. It almost we thought it was a compliment, right? But maybe it's not. Nope. <laughs> well, how tall did you think I was? I don't know, dude. I didn't think that much about it. How People tall think I'm like 5'7". 
Yeah, I was going to say five seven seems like about average. What are you five two? Oh uh, no! <laughs> Excuse me. I'm five three and a half, Andrew. I don't know feet and inches. <laughs> you Americans with your imperial system and your Fahrenheit. I don't know, dude. You mentioned it. You're Australian. I am. You're Australian. And you're in, currently living in? I live in Toronto, in Canada. I moved here uh, in 2019, in the middle of the year. Yeah. And uh, I'd never lived outside my home country before. I traveled a heap and I really loved that. But I, uh, I'd always wanted to. I'd never left the country until I, I went to university. So I'd never left Australia you know, holidays were, I love them, but they were, they were road trips somewhere. So I might've been on a plane four, five times in my life when I uh, got up to 18. Yeah. But uh, I've been really fortunate since then. And uh, I really feel like I've made up for lost time. Yeah. I agree with you. I think because of, well, I don't know if this is what you said, but because of education for me, I was able to kind of see more Hmm. of the world and stuff. I didn't know this during high school. I, I didn't really do it then. But during university, it turned out I, I ended up being quite good at debating. So I, I, oh. never, I, I, never, I never intended to become a debater. But uh, in orientation week, it's the first week in first year university um, in Australia, O week. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are all the clubs that have their tables set up and the debating society was five bucks to join and you got a free beer when you joined. So a couple of my friends uh, were really into debating and joined. I was with them and I wanted a beer, so I joined the debating society. And so I, I really bought a beer and then got a debating club membership as a... As a That's as so a, cool. Turns out like they were pretty good at it. They they weren't that good at it, but I, I got into it and I ended up being being pretty good at it and was fortunate that my university kind of helped fly me around the world going to different debating competitions. So that that was the reason I... First left Australia on, uh, where did I go? I went to Singapore first. I packed my bag and it was my first trip overseas by myself. And I just had the best time. Like I fell in love with that whole world. Obviously super nerdy, but like oh, for me. I love it. Yeah. Well, and for me, I I, um, I I think like anyone who has negative connotations around the idea of being a nerd, I don't know. Like I think being a nerd just means you're really into something. Yes, and, and I find people who aren't really into something and really passionate about it kind of dull. So, like for <laughs> they me, they kind of don't get it, right? Yeah, and hey, look, there are cooler things than debating. Like, I'm I'm not going to die on that hill arguing that point. <laughs> Please but, do. Um, <laughs> no, but it was just like the most incredible group of people that I I I hadn't I hadn't come across a lot of people that you know in my life before I did that. I think that really has helped informed my my whole adult life in terms of like seeking out different sorts of people than than I would have come across ordinarily and it's just like the the world just got so much bigger so quickly that's incredible and so can I ask a clarifying question so you had never done debate and then you discovered that you had this natural skill and interest it sounds like as well and then you became, I'm guessing, a top debater for your school. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, that's pretty amazing, good. Andrew. I don't, think, I don't think I was the best. I definitely wasn't the best, but I was. I was pretty. You were a contender. Yeah, I might not have been a debater during high school, but I'd say in my whole life, my only real skill is being able to talk my way into or out of anything. And I, uh, you know, it's a confidence game. So, uh, so yeah, I, I feel like I may have been training my whole life to get to that point, just uh, consciously. 
I was going to ask this later, but I think it's a little bit related. When I was reflecting on our time together when we were working and kind of the the biggest spikes that I see in terms of your skill sets and strengths and what you add to kind of the team environment, one of the things that came up for me was in any sort of setting, no matter who was in the room, I, I knew I could always count on you to make sure we were not falling into the traps of a little bit of a buzzword, but like groupthink or just nodding yes and moving forward. And I'm just wondering if there's this tie to debate because I never knew that you were a debater, uh, but you always have a really wonderful way of calmly interjecting when you see that people are on this train and no one's asked the questions that need to be asked and sort such, of saving us from ourselves, you know? <laughs> um, that is such a wonderful way to say I'm a very disagreeable person, but I'll, um, I'll, oh, so I'll go with that's definitely what you're saying and it's noted. Um, but I, I don't know, like for me, I, I do think the best idea should win. But yeah. the best idea rarely comes from one person. Oh. And, so, and so for me, like I, the things I really value are one, feeling part of something. Like community has always been really important to me. So in school, I loved school plays. School plays might oh. not be the best viewing experience for people, but they're the most wonderful things to be part of. And I was really fortunate that at my school, we actually did four school plays a year. So there was like huge opportunity for it. But I just loved that intensity that teenagers have in this little pressure cooker where you have to spend a huge amount of time together. And then when I think about work, that that's really come through where I, I don't feel a strong need where I have to come up with the idea or I have to be the smartest person in the room or say it. But I think together, cumulatively, you can drive really great results. But the only way to do that is for people to be like pretty brutally honest, like respectful, but pretty brutally honest. And sometimes it's just easier not to disagree. And sometimes it's not worth disagreeing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But also like if we're all trying to find out like what's, what's the best solution here and let's all crowd behind that. Sometimes you need to be the person falling into line, being like, I don't see, I don't agree with this, but this is what we're doing now. It's got a hundred percent of my support and I'll get right behind it. I think the advantage of taking that approach is it also then gives you permission to be a person that also says, actually, I don't agree. And people can line up behind that slightly different perspective. So I never know how it comes across to people. Sometimes I do worry about being that brash Australian, you know, like culturally. Um, uh, you know, we're a little different in that way. And we'll just say what we think and sometimes not, well, at least for me, maybe this isn't an Australian thing, maybe not always even in the most thoughtful way possible. But I never take it personally when when it happens to me. And and I um I certainly if I if I think there's a better way or we're uh, not seeing the forest through the trees, you you gotta you gotta say something. You've mentioned Brash Australian a couple of times. I didn't know that that's what y'all were known for because I think of the Hemsworths and that's what yeah. I think of when I think of Australia. Yeah. Well, look. Um, I'm They're your doing, cousins, right? They're your cousins. I know you're doing an audio podcast <laughs> as well as like a video version of this. So I think the people watching the video can definitely see that any sort of comparison to the Hemsworth is at best overly generous. <laughs> Um, and for people people listening, I probably 
I probably have Drew Carey more in the early days of the career before he slimmed right down. So, uh, so, so not a, not a Hemsworth. There's definitely a diversity of types of Australian. I wouldn't want to pretend to represent all Australians, but I like, we do, like, I do think Australians turn up at work really differently. Like Tell for me. most people, I would say Americans probably need to aspire to bring more of their whole self to work. And I reckon I, need, I think I need to dial it back to about 90%. I wanted to go back to your comments about being a nerd. I didn't know that about you. I'm also a nerd. That's probably yeah. why we. <laughs> like, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Tell me something I don't know. <laughs> you launched a podcast talking to people in technology about their lives. The ship sailed, dude. So, what are you a nerd about? Was going to be my question. Oh, so many things. <laughs> <laughs> I think. From a work from a work perspective, yeah. Um, as I said, my my mum was an academic. My my dad was kind of a broadcaster and journalist, and so what that meant was growing up, um, they'd have the most incredible dinner parties where around the table might be you know like one of Australia's biggest like music artist managers and mm -hmm. the guy who did the six pm news and this Amazing. really interesting academic that was you know forging ground in whatever. And to me, these were just my parents' friends. Oh, but, my gosh. But what it meant was, like, from a really young age, I, I used to love in the early parts of a dinner party before uh, they all started having a good time, what I now realise is they were just a old-school 80s drunk, but I thought they were just giggling and having a great time as a oh. as an eight-year-old or whatever. Oh. But, um, uh, you, you know, in the early parts of the dinner parties, they'd let me sit at the table and I'd be talking to people and I just... I fell in love with people that had something to say and kind of affected culture and made people feel like a lot of people feel something. So I never wanted to do what my parents did. Um, but during, uh, during university, a, a friend on the, the college radio stations, you know, co-host was sick one day and he's like, oh, do you mind coming in and filling in? I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a bit of a laugh. And I did it. And I <laughs> loved it. I absolutely loved it. And so I got my own show, you know, on the crappy <laughs> college radio station. It's terrible. Amazing. I do have a couple of, like, old burnt CDs. Cool. And it is dreadful. It's absolute drivel that I did. But I, I had a whale of a time. And I, uh, in, in doing that, I, I made friends with the dude who did the show after me, Tom. And uh, he got a job at one of the big commercial radio stations in, in Melbourne where I grew up. And he's like, hey, they're looking for another one of these shit kickers to press the buttons and play the songs and the ads and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, do you want to do it? And I'm like, oh, love, this is really fun doing community radio, like college radio. Someone wants to pay me money to do this more for them. Free. I'll take their money. And so I, I started working in, in radio and, and just loved it. And so I, I never intended to get into broadcasting, but, you know, this, again, this whole world opened up of like meeting amazing musicians and, you know, like people doing shows that, you know, were, were so groundbreaking at the time. And I just had that same feeling that I had growing up and I knew this is what I, I, I want to be part of. What it turned yeah. out I was pretty good at was identifying talent. 
Oh, and like really? figuring out like people uh. that could be really amazing, what was in their way and clearing the path so they could be kind of as good as I thought and hopefully they thought they could be. And that's become the through line for my whole career. Like from that work perspective, like I'm just a real nerd about <laughs> like talent development, content strategy, content commercialization, and like the execution. Like I, I'm a firm believer in. You know, you can have the best idea, but if you execute it really poorly, it's it's worth nothing. Correct. So like really, really getting in there and doing that. So that's the buzz um, from a work perspective. Um, and that's that's kind of what I really, really nerd out about at work. I find it interesting. You've now shared two examples of instances where you didn't have experience with something <laughs> and you just said, sure, why not? Whether it was because you were getting what was it? A free beer? Not really a free beer, yeah. a paid beer. <laughs> no, I got a free debating well, you know? club membership. Yeah. And in the other case, a friend, it sounds like asked you if you wanted to try something that could be really scary for a lot of people, especially because yeah. you're putting your, actually in both cases, you're putting yourself out there to other people. It's not something that you're trying behind closed doors. Yeah. Have you always been that way? Like yeah. what gave you the strength? Oh, you've just always been that way. Tell me more. Yeah. I don't know. I actually don't know the answer to that question. I'll have a I'll have a go at answering it, but you know my my greatest skill is talking my way into or out of something. In terms of what gave me the confidence, I don't know. I think it's probably my mum, which is maybe oh. disappointing for her to say, but I don't know. Like I always just felt like really supported without being like coddled by her, and she was just really good with me and my sister in terms of making sure we kind of had the right amount of confidence, but the the right amount of humility were kind of positioned to try and make the best choices we could. And so I, you know, I knew that no matter what happened, I could come and be like, oh, mama mucked up, like things are pretty bad. And she'd be like, all right, shouldn't do that. Let's talk about that later. But I felt really safe and secure. And, and she was a really big part of that. And then I just was able to, uh, yeah, um, talk my way into and out of stuff. And so that over time, I think having that safety net um, from her, oh. as well as just getting quite a few data points of being like, oh, actually. This works. <laughs> yeah. Most rules are pretty flexible. Like there aren't too many actual hard rules in life. And uh, if, you, uh, if you figure out how the system works, you can, you can probably make that system work for you. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're currently doing? We've talked about it around, but not directly. Yeah. So I I have a kick-ass job. I yeah. I lead the YouTube business in Canada. What what does that even mean? Um, is when you You're think, the king of Canada. That's, that's, <laughs> that's it. what it means. <laughs> but in terms of in terms of um when you think about the different stakeholders for a platform like YouTube, there's the viewers, the people watching the videos. Mm -hmm. there's the people uploading the videos and then there's the advertisers and they're mm -hmm. kind of the three key stakeholders. I spend the majority of my time thinking about the viewers. Like how do we make sure that Canadians get like the best content that they're looking for? Mm -hmm. um, and can we make sure that products work that we, we, we launch globally, but bring to Canada work for the, the local market needs and nuances. It's a bilingual country, um, which I yes. think everyone understands like on a superficial level, 
but like the 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 strong bilingualism and culture here is means that things work differently and and wonderfully as a result. So really thinking about how do we serve Canadian viewers of of all types um, with the right content and experiences, but then also for our our partners, the people who upload the content, how can we make sure that they're able to build meaningful and sustainable businesses on the platform? Mm-hmm. So when you think about like what do I what do I love in terms of that talent identification and just helping people feel feel uh, you know fulfill their potential. Uh, I don't know if there's a better job in the world for me. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been doing it for four years? Yeah, coming up. So I've been at YouTube for, I feel like coming up to seven years. And I've uh, I've been in Canada for, for close to four. And so when this opportunity popped up, and I'm going to tie it back to all the other examples as well. My question for you is when these hard things that you've never done before, you, and you get an opportunity to do them. Do you have any sort of fear, any sort of hesitation, or it feels yeah. like you walk, but it feels like you walk bravely into them. How do you yeah. feel when you're making the decision? I think um, the decision isn't the hard bit. Okay. The consequences of the decision. <laughs> and why uh, is the decision not the hard bit? Why? Is What's the worst thing that happens? Like I move to the other side of the world. What's the worst thing that happens? It doesn't work out. I go back to the other side of the world. Love it. And this is where I think one of the things I learned when when I left radio, because I loved radio. Like oh. it was my identity. It was my community. Like it was, you know, the rules were a bit different. Like everything was like, this is amazing. Like I never want to leave the circus. Wow. That's great. But, <laughs> but, but like why why did I? Um, now I'm not even just giving you long answers. I'm asking my own questions. Watch out. Um, why, why, why did I, like, I distinctly remember I must've been about to turn 30 and I was paddling along in a kayak in Halong Bay in Vietnam with a friend. And, uh, and she's like, Oh, you know, what are you like 10 years? Like, who do you want to be in 10 years? Like, how do you want to, how do you want to feel? And I didn't think about my answer. I just said it out loud. And I said, I don't want to become. And it was my current boss's name. Interesting. And he was someone that when I first started in radio, I really looked up to. Mm -hmm. And he's a good guy. I was like, he is trapped. He is earning the most money he'll ever make in his career right now. There's probably one or maybe two other companies that he could work for Pivot to. Mm-hmm. doing this um, huge transferable skills, but I don't think other industries saw it that way. And I was mm-hmm. like, I do not want to be trapped because he also wasn't mm-hmm. a very happy person. He was lots of fun, but he wasn't a very happy person. And it was quite confronting um, mm-hmm. to like say that without thinking. And then I went, well, I, that is the trajectory I'm on. Mm-hmm. Like I am on, I am on the express train to that. And I'm getting off. <laughs> right now. Right yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not waiting for the station. And I, I pulled the ripcord really quickly. Wow. Uh, and I really, I really struggled. Like when I when I left, like it felt like so much of my identity, my soul had been ripped out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I made some and still have some terrific friends from that time, but mm-hmm. gosh, there were an awful lot of people who wanted something for me because I worked on some big stuff and got them access to things that just disappeared really? into the ether. <gasps> oh, yeah. Entertainment industry, Sil. Um, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, and so I felt really, I felt really down for a while about mm-hmm. it. I'm like, what are people going to think? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have the status I, I wanted. And then um like I, I, I don't know if we're allowed to we're allowed to swear on this podcast, but definitely I'm, 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 a I'm lot. Going, Drop I'm like ten to, right now. Nah, <laughs> nah, nah, I'll just be playing to the stereotype. Like one, <laughs> one, one of one of my life lessons, and we've discussed this, is people don't give a fuck. Yes. And like yes. we are the star of our story, but we are the star of pretty much, if not anyone's story. And so, like, letting go of a lot of that that baggage of what are people going to think and, mm-hmm. like, they're not going to think anything. Yeah. They're literally not going to hear from you and then they'll see a LinkedIn post that you're working in this other place and at best they'll be like, ah, cool. <laughs> and so, like, when you when you ask about, like, is it hard to make the decision, I think really, really internalizing that people like people don't think about you like you think about you it's true they probably won't think anything at all and so like why not do something for fear of something that someone probably won't think it just seems dumb but like i would also say like that a healthy a healthy um low self-esteem at times is also a great driving force to try a bit harder than everyone else so while I feel really confident in making a decision, definitely the self-doubt and like oh, a, I see. there's definitely for me, and I this may be a horrid thing to say and and dreadfully incorrect. There is I find I there is a sweet spot for fear and nervousness with me. Okay. And you don't want too much of it because it's super unhealthy and you can't have it all the time because that is just would be a nightmare to deal with. Mm-hmm. But I, I am. I think there is a healthy amount of that for me, and it makes me try harder, and it makes me pretty good. Oh, at what I, what under I under pressure. Yeah, and so that is to take the scenic route. Making the decision is easy. I think mm-hmm. most of the time, living with the decision is hard. It's definitely there are times of like fear and lack of confidence. Um, but it's, so long as you can control it and get a healthy balance. That's also that's also been integral to me doing what I'm doing and 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 getting to where I am, which is probably terrible. Why? <laughs> doesn't seem good. Why is it terrible? Doesn't seem healthy. Why? I think the right answer is like yeah, believe in yourself, work through your. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like I'm going to have my hot girl summer, you know. Something I really, really, really like about you. I don't know oh, how many reasons there are, but like, let's go terminal velocity <laughs> really like is, Sil, you're so bloody smart and you're so bloody good, but you do it in a way that just like you, everyone wants you to succeed. Thank like you. everyone wants to work with you and you just make people around you feel so good. So. Thank you. I'm actually yeah. going to cry. Here's the tears. <laughs> Check made her cry. Freaking Andrew. Yeah. What I love about this conversation is I'm I can't wait to listen to it all again. I'm gonna write down all your life lessons. You're like the opposite of Bluey's dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
but still giving like life lessons. I love it. <laughs> yeah. A little darker and more long-winded. I gotta, I gotta get some tips on like <laughs> Louis, Louis can punch it out an episode in five and I'm struggling with one question. Yeah. It's like five to eight minutes. It's, it's yeah. wild. No, but I yeah. like your answers. I really like your answers. Um, I wanted to go back to one more thing before I forget to, you talked about theater. I was also in theater in high school. You were? were you an actress or actor? So yes, I was the lead in one mm. very easy play where I needed to play like a tween and I was in high school. So, and I don't think I was very good, but I only joined because one of my best friends, her name's Emily, wanted to join. And so she didn't want to do it alone. And I said, same as you, right? I said, okay. I said yes to a lot of things because why not? It's a new experience. But my favorite um, job was when I was the stage manager. I think it's what it's mm-hmm. called. Oh, I had the little microphone. Oh, yes. <laughs> you had the Madonna headset on. Yes. Yes. Was it the one, the one idiot headphones with mm-hmm. the Madonna mic coming out? With the mic. And you would have been, you would have been bossing them around and making them feel great about it. Well, so thank that is you. your high school formative. <laughs> it was story. amazing. And I'm so proud because. Every show that I was the manager of, we were boom, 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 boom. It was amazing. There was one, um, I was going to say one episode, <laughs> one performance where one of the props, it was a kitchen, like cabinets, but it was made out of paper, right? It fell down and I just, I stopped breathing for a second. And then the actress on stage said, I've been meaning to get that fixed. And the audience laughed and they moved on. And I was so blown away by her because I don't think I could have come up with that line, right? I, I was I was in the back and I was like, uh, <laughs> frozen in place. But anyway, I loved theater. And so that, I didn't know that you also were involved in that. So, yeah. and in the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, the, in the not talented, but just operational. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Although you we still did it was so well. I feel like I did. I did try my hand at performing, and there were two. One, I was the the mayor of Munchkin City in the sixth grade. Nailed it. I reckon I still know. I still know my little twenty seconds of lyrics from that. And the other one was I was some rando extra in King Lear, where I had the um the line Edmund is dead, my lord, and that is uh the sum the sum total of my my on stage theatrical experience, and I. I actually think I got worse. I reckon the year six one was actually better than my uh, Edmund is dead, my lord. Just wooden and terrible. So I talked about like what, like some of the things I'm just truly untalented and dreadful at. Mm-hmm. I'm interested when we were talking about what you're like, what you're really good at and mm-hmm. like in people with different skills. Yes. What are the types of people you need to surround yourself with to compliment you and like get the best out of you and what you what you want to achieve? Oh, one woman show, Andrew. I'm just kidding. Untrue. <laughs> I don't need anyone. Nobody wants me. I was laid off. I think one of my like signature leadership styles is I truly believe that pretty much anyone can do anything. I do with enough support, right? And so to answer your question more directly of who I need to surround myself with, I think it's just people that are willing to learn and that want to be engaged and that are willing to be open with me about their their struggles and what they really want to accomplish. And as long as I have that, I can sort of work with almost anyone and mm. I will be super invested in 
the people on my team. Right. So I think it's just having that attitude of what is it? What do they call it now? Growth mindset, something like that. Yeah. It seems like the sort of thing I put in a deck, <laughs> which is what, people in, which is what people in their forties call a presentation. It seems. Oh, you're right. I know. I said tricks the other day. I actually a, heard that. I feel like it was episode two in your podcast and there were so many tech phrases in that, but tricks, which for those playing at home, for anyone who's not in this ridiculous world, is a spreadsheet. It's a which spreadsheet. I found out, which I found out um, is also referred to as a matrix, which then is a oh, trick. Oh, boom, boom, boom. Nonsense. Um, like, and I'm so guilty of this, and I feel like everyone in every industry is. Um, finance more than anything. Gosh, we all use a lot of abbreviations and buzzwords, and sometimes I wonder, like, is it just to make it seem like harder and less straightforward? Yes. Like, hey, where's the deck at? It's like, how's the presentation going? <laughs> hey, can you input into this tricks? Which is like, hey, can you fill out this spreadsheet? Which is also corporate speak for, can you do my job for me? Every time someone in tech asks you to fill out a tricks, here, can you, I have been asked to figure this out, but can you put it in for me so I can then just say the answer? Can I, I enable you, Andrew, to fill out this tricks for me? so <laughs> enabled. Oh my God. I learned so much from you about saying no to tricks because I was a trained, like a good little Googler that if someone tells you to do this tricks in the next two hours, you better get that done in the next two hours. And you told me, so like, why? Everything's urgent for someone. Yeah. 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 Not today. No one ever got promoted because they filled in the spreadsheet on time. And when they were asking for me to do it in two hours, I did it in two and a half because I pushed back. <laughs> <laughs> I pushed back so hard. Thank you so much. I feel like I have a lot of life lessons that I'm pulling out of this. Let me say this, Syl. Um, I, I, I just, I admire you so much as a person. And I think it is so cool that you're, you're doing this podcast and it's really hard. Thank it's you. It's really hard to do. And you're putting yourself out there. But I, I, I think you like this is going to be such a good thing for you to to do and grow, and you have so much to offer people. And I'm really glad that you found this as one of the forums to do that. Thank you so much, and thank you for your professional broadcasting voice. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to the One of a Kind podcast. This show was edited by my brother from the very same mother, Jose Duran. We have more episodes on the way, so please check us out wherever you get your podcasts.